This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. James 5.11 also talks about endurance when it says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Well, again and again, Scripture tells us to press on as we follow Jesus Christ, even though the Christian life can bring with it a lot of trials and tribulations and sufferings. And that's because, as Romans 8 recounts, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. But why is it so important to endure and how can we keep going when we feel like giving up? Very practical questions that we're going to talk about today with Doug Gaiman. He is the president of Globe International, a mission sending agency based in Pensacola, Florida. And he is author of the book we'll be talking about called Before You Quit, Everyday Endurance, Moral Courage and the Quest for Purpose. Doug, it's great to have you with us today. How are you? Thank you, Janet. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. I'm actually in Costa Rica, of all places, but it's an honor to be talking to you today. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm so glad the phone connection is great, and I'm sure you're doing some great work down there. I'm curious about this subject of perseverance. This, I think, is such an important thing to talk about, and I'm wondering why you think the power of perseverance is such an important subject for Christians especially. Well, I can't take complete credit for writing the book. Moody Publishers, actually, after talking with me about uh, me writing something for them, uh, after we talked about my own story, they said, uh, you really need to write a book about perseverance. So I guess in their view, I have a life or a message based on my life about perseverance. Um, But I can tell you that I've discovered as a Christian leader, as a global person who served overseas for many years and now lead a mission organization, that nothing worthwhile that we do in response to our obedience to Jesus is ever going to be producing fruit and be worthwhile without going through this time and this season of refining and patient labor that will later produce fruit. Right. I think you're right Our about change that. Just isn't a quick, quick, quick fix. Yes, exactly. Well, and I am curious for you to tell people a little bit about your background because you have been involved in ministry around the world. How have you dealt with the issue of perseverance? Well, you know, every every person who goes into ministry, we have expectations. Uh, we feel like we're call, we're answering a call from God. We have hope. We are. I tend to be very idealistic. I was as a young man. I wanted to change the world for Jesus. I was so grateful for what He did for me, and I wanted to preach His good news around the world. Uh, and so you have an expectation of how that's going to turn out in terms of fruit, in terms of lives changed. And typically, our, t- our expectations are not quite in line with what we experience. And so we have then are faced with what amounts to a crisis. Um, <laughs> am I going to deal with this disappointment, or am I going to deal with this challenge, this delay, or this persecution, or maybe it's indifference? How am I going to deal with that? Am I going to quit and just get discouraged, or am I going to press through, maybe make some adjustments, 
and find God's pathway to fruitfulness. Um, that was my story. Um, I, I grew up underneath other leaders, interned under them, and then took those experiences and built my own sense of expectation, which were, of course, dashed at the beginning. It, I didn't produce as much fruit as I was hoping for. But then I made a determination to stick it out and get some help. I went back to school. I did some learning, tried some different things, and eventually came into a fruitful place. And so I, I learned that um, as, a, as the as Hebrews who faith with through faith and patience inherit the promise. Yes, so. yes, that's great. Do you, when you mention your idealism, of course, I can relate to this. I have that sort of personality as well. Do you think that perseverance is more difficult for Christians who tend to be very idealistic, very gung-ho, very much saying what you reflected just there upon the idea that I want to change the world for the Lord. I want to change the world for Jesus. And then reality sets in sometimes and you recognize, hey, wait a minute, this isn't as achievable or as easy as I thought it was going to be. Is that kind of personality more often discouraged, more often prone to saying, I'm just going to give up? Um. Well, it's it's hard to say because all of us, our ideals are tested by God. Um, I but but I think I actually think the opposite is true. I think idealistic people, when our ideals are really centered in the purposes of God, His glory, His consummate purposes, that even disappointments, though they are difficult and they're they're hard and they 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 affect us, they affect us in a very personal way. I think idealistic people actually have a better chance of getting through because when you when you read the the, the people of the Bible that are champion Abraham, Joseph, Noah, Moses, all of them saw something that was beyond themselves. They saw they were looking for a city, you know, Hebrews says they were looking for something that didn't yet exist. It was far off. They hope for a better country, uh, all these things about future expectations, and that ideal is what drove them and also enabled them and empowered them to persevere through a lot of uncertainties and difficulties. And the fact is, none of them served God perfectly. They made mistakes. They, they had you know their own human faults, but it was actually their ideals, their, their God-centered ideals that kept them in kept them on the path. That's really good. I know that's been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. It kind of ties in with a quote that I took from your book because I thought it was so excellent. You have so many in this book that are excellent, but you have a quote in here that says the most powerful force for the advancement of the gospel is God's determined people. And the most powerful force behind them is the glory of God. That seems to tie in with what you just said, that those Christians Mm -hmm. who are the most gung ho and, and determined, I will follow you, Jesus. I will honor you. I will obey you to the best of my ability, that even when things become difficult and it's hard to persevere, God's determined people will continue on by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, you know, what I discovered in some of our deepest sufferings, and we had some very personal things I relate in my book, some, some losses that were very personal. And what I discovered in those times of suffering, too, um, that I had a glimpse of it even at the early stages. My, for example, my brother took his own life when I was 29. He mm. was 27. We were in Thailand. And I remember flying back on the airplane just in shock as we came home to grieve and uh, do the funeral. And I remember this scripture in Isaiah chapter 53 
where Isaiah talks about, you know, the, the Messiah, the suffering servant, his, his vision of the Messiah, and he said, he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I sat there on that airplane grieving and thinking, now I know what that means. Yeah. Um, I, I never knew what that meant before, to be a person of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And I had this sense that now I, now I understand a little bit what God must experience when he sees the world turning their back on him, when they see what it cost Jesus in his incarnation to come and suffer for us and be suffer beside us as the Emmanuel. Um, and I later, as we got through the grief, I, I really came to understand that as tragic as my brother's death was, and as, you know, how do you deal with that even theologically? Uh, what I saw was God's goodness, the Romans 8, God's working things together for our good. I saw that he gave our family a gift. He, he helped us know him as God's suffering servant, that we also learn something of him through our difficulties. And as we persevere through them, we actually become more effective witnesses for Jesus. Oh, wow. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss. It's just heartbreaking to hear about that. But I understand what you're talking about, that in the sanctification process, oftentimes it's the extreme suffering that we go through that helps us to learn more deeply about our Savior, and that just gives us more strength. It's kind of a paradox in a way, but that really seems to be the way it works out in the Christian life. Yeah, I mean, we're geared in the West because what I say in the book, a great good, uh, which is the prosperity and the safety and uh, the sense of systems that work. This is a good, this is a good thing. We're, we're very grateful for it, uh, and we want to see it retained in the future in our nation. But what it what has robbed us of is familiarity with suffering. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to hold it there just for a moment. Doug Gaiman is with us. His book is called Before You Quit, and we'll come right back to the discussion after this break on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will mean so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So, when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. 
if you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible that pastor I understand you work with Bible but we don't have Bibles here so that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's Word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. So good to have you with us. And so good to be talking with my guest, Doug Gaiman. He's president of Globe International Emission Sending Agency in Florida. His book is called Before You Quit, Everyday Endurance, Moral Courage, and the Quest for Purpose. Doug, before we went to the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the sufferings that you have experienced and how that has affected how you persevere for the Lord. Does that seem to be, in your experience, that kind of suffering, to be more inclined to keep the Christian persevering? Is that part, would you say, of the sanctification process that God often uses in our lives to keep us going? I mean, it sounds strange, but is that part of the process, do you think? Yeah, I actually, I think it is. Um, I think we have to we have to become familiar with difficulty. It, it's, you know, the Isaiah 53, acquainted with grief. Uh, we, we part of our growth is becoming acquainted with what it means to suffer. There's a really an interesting verse in Colossians. Paul's writing this, of course, from prison, uh, unjustly placed there. Chapter one, I believe it's verse 24. He says, "I thank God for my sufferings on your behalf, because I am I am fulfilling what is lacking." in the sufferings of Christ for you. Mm-hmm. And you think about that, what was what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Well, you know, that's hard to say. His work was complete. It was finished. Everything was done that needed to be done, except for one thing, and that is not everyone has yet heard or seen what Jesus has done. And so what I think Paul was basically saying is that my suffering as a Christian and my doing it with patience and with grace is a testimony for what Jesus did for me by his sufferings and taking it patiently and with grace. So we are a living example to others by enduring suffering in a Christ-like way. And that's what I've learned about difficulty. If we can if we can suffer in a Christ-like way when God asks us to and not lose our faith or not behave in a way that's not honoring to Jesus, in some way that becomes one of our most, one of our most compelling messages. Yes. And I, I tend to believe that Christians that are at our best when we go through difficulty because we have something transcendent that the world just does not have. We Amen. have a hope that <laughs> no one else knows about. Yeah, you're totally right about that. You know, I I really appreciate that you distinguish also between these three kinds of perseverance. You talk about everyday endurance. You talk about aspirations for greatness. You talk about moral courage, which you say can be very different or they can be interrelated. Can you speak a little bit about the importance of these three forms of perseverance that are all things that come up in the course of our lives? Sure. So, Everyday endurance is the everyday stuff we deal with and how we and how we respond to it. It's broken down automobile, automobiles, delayed flights, uh, lines at the supermarket, traffic jams. It's the stuff that just irritates us, especially in our somewhat entitled culture of the West, where we expect things to go well for us because of our uh, technological and other advances. And so when they don't, it's hard for us. But how we as Christians respond in those types of little provocations is a little bit of a litmus test about our ability to handle greater levels of difficulty. 
And that's how that relates to uh, other kinds of difficulties. So the second one is aspirations for greatness. That's where we voluntarily enter into something difficult. It could be something as personal as trying to lose weight or run a marathon. We just suffer so that we can (laughs) attain a personal goal. Or it could be something very Christ-driven where he gives us an assignment and we just have to doggedly go after it for the glory of God. But it's a voluntary thing, and in some ways we can choose not to. The third kind is moral courage, where um, difficulty is thrust upon us. We are faced with a loss or something that's out of our control. And in some ways that's the most noble, because now the outcome is uncertain, and even the purpose, why do we have to suffer through this, is in question. We may ask God, why am I, why do I have to deal with this? Why this grief? And how we embrace that type of pain and how we lean in on Jesus and allow him to shape us even through an unwanted difficulty is a great test of our faith. Yes, that's right. And those are all really interesting, the way that you break those down. What would you say makes people persevere, for example, through that last category that you mentioned, moral courage? Because as you say, it's one thing to join Weight Watchers. It's another thing when you have a loved one commit suicide or somebody die or some tragedy occur. What about that issue? What makes somebody persevere despite a situation that may be completely, you know, something you could never have handled if you'd known it was coming in advance. Yeah. Um, the, the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said something. It's ironic that he said it because he was an atheist. He was very anti-Christian. He said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Hmm. And ironically, it's odd, but in this point, he and Jesus would agree. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, I heard a preacher say that one time, and I thought, boy, that is so true, because Jesus basically says the same thing, and that is, God gives us a purpose for living, and we pursue Him with with all the passion and all the intention that we have, and we are willing to suffer for His honor and glory because we love Him so much. He gives us the why. Right. He gives us the reason. And so that, I think, is really behind every Christian's ability to endure is that idea that we see something in the heavenlies. It's maybe not with the naked eye, but with, with our heart of faith, we see something that is transcendent, that we are willing to pursue and hold on to no matter what might happen to Hmm, us. Very good. What would you say, for example, Doug, when you're talking about what you learn over the course of your maturity in Christ, you know, we all learn a lot of lessons over the years, the longer that we walk with the Lord. But for the new Christian or the young Christian, there may still be that lack of experience that will bring Mm -hmm. that person to the place where the first big trial that comes along, he will or she will be tempted to give up. And I know, you know, that that's a common thing with a lot of Christians, probably all of us at some point say, I'm just out of here. I just, I can't deal with this anymore. How do you give that person encouragement in Christ when you just feel like giving up? You just don't think, I I can't stand, I can't keep going, Lord. I'm just out of strength. I have nothing left. Yes. Well, the first thing I think we all need to uh, embrace is that every, every difficulty is really an opportunity for us to take a hard look at what we really believe and what we really want. Hmm. Um, anything worthwhile is worth suffering for and fighting for and, and waiting for. And so young people today who are by, in some ways being told we can have things instantly, and I don't want to just pigeonhole young people. That was true when I was 18, too. Hmm. Um, but 
you know, this idea that a difficulty actually gives us an, a chance to see what do I really believe and how, how much do I want to hang on to something that I want and to fight and to work for it. Uh, I think the, the second thing that's important in, in, that, in that journey is to know how to engage yourself in the interim. What do you do in this gap between an aspiration for something and its fulfillment? There, <laughs> there are things you can do. Uh, I list five, actually, what I call self-care and difficulty. The first is to read and learn. So, you know, Bible reading and engaging with good Christian books or even going back to school and getting some education so you can expand your understanding. And that gives you perspective on your experience. I call that the cognitive. And then worship is the intuitive. It's leaning in on Jesus in your heart. Even, you know, the, the, the idea of things that pass all understanding, as Paul says, and then the third is be creative. Try something. Distract a little bit and be creative and do some things that are healthy for you. I know when we went through difficulty, we had to make a decision between, I had to make a decision between engaging unhealthy habits and getting into addictive behaviors or expressing myself in some positive, creative way that I could you know, express even my lament uh, in a way that was constructive and Christ-honoring. And then the final two are diversions, taking a Sabbath, getting a rest, doing something different, adjusting your life. And the final one is just a faithful living. Uh, I remember my grandmother, when I was a kid, went out to their farm and loved to get up and work in the barn, but I hated getting up at five in the morning to milk the cows. And she'd shake me awake and she'd say, look, the cows don't care how you feel. They need to be milked. So get up and at them. And there's something for all of us to remember that we're glad the police are doing their jobs in the middle of the night so we're safe, even if maybe they have a head cold and they had a fight with their spouse before they left for work. We're still glad they're faithfully doing their jobs. All of us has things we need to be faithful with because a lot of other people are depending on us. That's a really good perspective. Is there anybody in particular whose perseverance inspires you? Somebody from church history, somebody from the Word of God. You mentioned Noah, for example. There have been a lot of missionaries, obviously, who faced incredible trials and persevered for the Lord. Would there be one person among others that you would say, this Christian is the one I keep going back to? Yeah. Well, there's there's one uh, in my book. I use it use his example as uh, as a, a man that really inspired me when I was young. I called him W.C. and he was an evangelist that had to labor for three years of disappointments with me working as an intern, watching his determination. So that's a very relevant contemporary example that's happened in the last thirty, forty years. Um, that's in my book. It's worth reading. It's a great introduction to the book. Uh, other ones from history, like William Carey, uh, who was now con- called the father of modern missions, he one of the famous things he said was, "I can plod." He faced a lot of difficulty as he tried to tried to change the paradigm of his day, which was sort of the theological underpinnings of his upbringing in in England, and said, "Shouldn't we go to the nations?" And some of the folks said, "No, God will take care of that on His own. He doesn't need our help." And Kerry had this example of just plodding forward with this, uh, this idea, and eventually it bore such amazing fruit that here we are today, 
400 years later and we're still quoting some of the things that he did. Oh, that's, that's so profound true. to me. Oh, mm-hmm. me too. I love him. And, and there are some wonderful examples of other people that you mentioned in your book. But what an encouragement this is because we all have need of perseverance. We're all headed toward heaven. We're all excited to get there. But in the interim, we have a lot of work to do and it's important mm-hmm. not to give up. And you can read about it yes. in the book Before You Quit, Everyday Endurance, Moral Courage and the Quest for Purpose by my guest, Doug Gaiman. So good to have you with us, Doug. Keep up the good work. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Janet. My privilege to be with you today. God bless. God bless you too, Doug. Thanks again. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today, and now here's Janet. Thank you for being with us. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 shows us clearly the kind of mindset that we should have as Christians, not I, but Christ. I now consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, as Romans 6 says. So my life is not my own anymore. Now, what a contrast this is to the message of the world, which says we must be loved and we must be successful at all costs and that the famous are the important people. Well, who's more famous than the Lord and how can we better proclaim the mighty deeds that he has done? So we're going to talk about this today with Than Bennett, Director of Government Affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice and author of My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. Than, it's great to have you with us. How are you today? Janet, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me back. Great to talk to you again. Well, we're in a culture, as you mentioned in your book, that really is kind of obsessed with fame and success. How do you see that? What do you make of that as a Christian, the the direction that our culture pushes us in to be famous and to be important all the time? Yeah, you know, Janet, I think there's a fairly universal desire in all of us for our lives to count for something that is uh, bigger than ourselves. But unfortunately, you're right. In our culture, that largely plays out in a way where people are obsessed with 15 minutes of fame. You know, it's rooted in personal notoriety or attention. And, you know, we as Christ followers know that we should resist that temptation. And yet I think there is still this desire born at a soul level for our lives to count for something bigger than ourselves. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that Scripture pretty clearly tells us why we have that desire. And this is going to be surprising to some people, but I think Scripture tells us it's because we were literally created for fame. Now, I I need to follow quickly on in saying that is uh, we have perverted the fame for which we were created with that self-absorbed one that we see all around us. And that fame uh, will destroy us. But I, I don't think it negates the truth that we were hardwired to be vessels for the fame and the power of the Almighty God. You know, you can you can think of several examples. It's it's what was promised to Abraham when, when God said he would make him a great nation. And it's what he meant when he told Joshua his fame would spread throughout the land. And then in the pinnacle story that I use in this book, it's what he meant when he asked the prophet Habakkuk to proclaim his fame during a time of calamity. So I think, Janet, that this is an incredibly exciting proposition for those of us who follow Jesus, because the, the creator of the universe designed us 
to possess his fame and his power. But you're right. It's a tricky one in our culture because the only way that we're going to be able to take on that fame is if we first unlearn the one that's all around us. That's the only way, Janet, that we're going to walk in the fullness of God's plans for our life. Well, I agree with you there. And I'm glad that you're focusing on Habakkuk. I actually love that book very, very much. This is a time when the Chaldeans were being used by God to punish Judah. Habakkuk was rather exasperated. And I'm wondering if you can bring people up to speed a little bit who might have forgotten their lessons on Habakkuk, what that whole uh, book is about. But talk a little bit about why the prophet Habakkuk is a really good prophet to look at when we're discussing this subject. I love that you love it, Janet. A lot of people don't uh, really know that story, but I see uh, so many parallels between Habakkuk and then the world that we live in today. And quite frankly, I see parallels between his uh, exacerbation with the culture around him and his frustration with God's absence and maybe how I respond to. Habakkuk went to God with his frustration, and, and Janet, he actually blames God for being absent. He blames God for his hand being stayed, and he wonders why God is not intervening. But a couple of things happen when Habakkuk does this that I think are very instructive to how we should live today. Uh, Number one, God doesn't reprimand Habakkuk for bringing those frustrations to him. Quite, Quite the opposite. He welcomes it. He engages the dialogue. He responds to Habakkuk on the terms that Habakkuk is asking about. He doesn't shy away from the fact that there might be judgment and calamity coming, but he welcomes that relationship. And I think that's the first lesson, is that God wants that honest relationship with us. But then, most importantly for this book, Janet, Uh, When Habakkuk blames God for everything that's happening and says, God, why are you absent? God says, well, I'm not absent. I have been here all along. What I've been waiting on, Habakkuk, is I've been waiting on the vessel that I created to carry my fame. That's you. I've been waiting on you to be ready. Now, are you ready? Will you step forward? Will you carry my fame? And if you will, I'm more than ready to pour it out. Well, there's so much there that we can talk about because you're right. When Habakkuk starts out his plea with the Lord, he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? And you're right. He's very honest. He's very open and he's very flummoxed. He says, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And the Lord responds. And it's interesting because one of the things that the Lord responds with is he says, the righteous will live by his faith. But he says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. So it seems what he's telling Habakkuk is, trust me. Is that not a big part, part, would you say, of the message to Habakkuk as well? The Lord is reassuring him, trust me. You must trust me in this. Absolutely. And I think we have to trust him in both the judgment that may fall and then also the promise uh, of rescue that will be on the other side. Um, Habakkuk 1.5, God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days you would not believe even if you were told. And there were two sides of that promise, Janet. The first one was going to be some calamity, some judgment at the hands of the Babylonians. And then the second is this promise of rescue on the other side. The book actually closes with that very familiar refrain where God promises to place Habakkuk's uh, hind feet on high places. But the the pivot point in there, Janet, and, and what brings Habakkuk to a place of believing in that promise of rescue, even when he's not yet convinced of it, is this beautiful declaration that God instructs uh, uh, Habakkuk to make. It happens in Habakkuk 3.2. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. 
I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And then here's the pivot point. And Janet, this is what I think we need to say today. He asked God, repeat them in our day. Amen. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember, remember mercy. And I've got to tell you, I think we're on the edge of that moment. I think we, God's people, the church, are recognizing that God is ready to do mighty things that are beyond our imagination, but he's waiting on us, the ones that he desires relationship with, to be willing to engage with him in those mighty things. Well, that is a great verse, as you mentioned, Habakkuk 3.2, and it depends on the translation you're using. I think you were quoting from the NIV, which uses the word fame, and I'm also looking, I think this is at the NASB, that says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, mm. your fame and your work. So you're right. I think we're absolutely at that pivot point where we are right now, not just because of the pandemic that we're all sitting through and wondering about all the time, but also because of really, in many respects, the spiritual and moral collapse of the United States. Do you see a lot of parallels there between what was going on in Habakkuk's day with Judah and what's going on with us now? I really do. And I think it, the times that we're going through, Janet, I think can bring so much clarity. I'm not saying that they are you know, good times at all. It's certainly times of calamity. But I think one of the fringe benefits is that it, it gives us greater clarity about those things uh, which are lasting and, and those things that we should be aiming our lives and influence toward. And for me, it really boils down to this point. It it convinces me that the world does not need me. It needs him. But here's the exciting thing. The world doesn't get him unless I'm willing to step in and be the connective tissue between him and the world. That's the way he's designed it, because he desires relationship with me. And there are two main connections that have to happen there. First of all, I have to be connected to my creator. I have to be hearing from him. I have to be communing with him. And then I have to be connected to my culture. It's not a detachment. It's not a walking away. It's not a, a being afraid to engage. It's also not just a condemning and writing off. It's a connection so that my connection to the creator then makes a tangible uh, impact as I connect to the culture. That's what Habakkuk was. And he had to agree to obey before God poured out the promise and then told Habakkuk to make it plain, write it on a tablet so that a herald could run with it. Well, that's such an important point that you're making because it is the case that when you look at Genesis, God is speaking directly to Adam and Eve. He spoke directly to the prophets, but he allows us to be his ambassadors. That's what scripture talks about, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We represent him. We are his children by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the heirs of the promise that is to be ours when all of this is over and we inherit eternal life. But you're raising a really important question, Than, and that is how should should we live in light of what you've just said? Van Bennett is my guest. My fame, his fame is his book. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. 
pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her and She said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed for her own words. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Will you help save babies' lives? For $140, you can sponsor free ultrasounds for five young women. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Than Bennett is my guest, Director of Government Affairs for the American Center for Law and Justice. And his book is called My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. That's kind of where we left off, Than, before we went to the break. And you were talking about the fact that when we look at the book of Habakkuk and we see Habakkuk's complaints against the Lord and why aren't you acting, Lord? And we're in a time of distress and the Lord answers him. You made the point that what we need to remember is we have to be connected to the Lord, but we also have to have connections to our culture in order to spread the gospel, in order to celebrate God's fame, as it were, to the nations. So how do we go about doing that? Yeah, I think we're just so often um, too willing to accept a narrow answer from God when he's willing to do so much more in these spaces that concern us. And uh, to me, I think I think my favorite example of this in Scripture is Genesis 18, where uh, God is telling Abraham that he's about willing, uh, ready to destroy Sodom for its wickedness. And, I, and I've got to tell you, I think if I'm Abraham in that moment, I really like this idea because finally the power of my God is going to show up and it's going to it's going to give that evil those evil actors, what they deserve. Judgment is going to rain down. But Janet, Abraham doesn't do that. He goes back to God and pleads for mercy. He says, God, if I can find 50 righteous people in this city, uh, will you save it? And, And God says, yes, but Abraham does, is not satisfied with that. He goes back not once, not twice, not three. He goes back six times asking God for a greater grant of mercy. And, and what's instructive to me, two things really. First of all, I so desperately want to be someone who looks at this broken culture and doesn't instinctively call down God's judgment, but asks God, how can I be a vessel of mercy in this? How can I draw others to your side through this? And the second thing, uh, Janet, is... God doesn't walk away from those negotiations until Abraham walks away. They settle on this number of finding 10 righteous people, and if they can, the city will be saved. But God doesn't walk away until Abraham walks away. The, the, the request for, for 10 is the last number uh, that Abraham gives. So to, to answer your question, I just think we need to be a people who are willing to engage our God and asking for a greater grant of his mercy, a greater grant of time to draw people to his side. 
Those are the kind of people that I think God has called us to be. Well, right. And you're picking up again on Habakkuk 3.2, which talks about in wrath, remember mercy. That's exactly what, you know, he's praying for. Please, Lord, be merciful unto us. And none of us have anything without God's mercy anyway. Something else you say, Than, is we try to be famous. And that's kind of the the theme of your book, when we should long to be known. Can you speak Hmm. to that issue a bit? Absolutely. I think when we try to be famous, when we take on this personal uh, idea of fame, we are looking to be recognized uh, by those around us. We're looking to be notorious when we were actually created to be known intimately by our creator and then to amplify his fame, not our own. That's the fame that we were made to take on. And, you know, I, I think this so often becomes a competition among Jesus followers. And I think this is something that we're being called out of. And again, I go back to the example of of Moses, Moses and Joshua. There's this amazing story in Numbers 11 that I think maybe a lot of us have forgotten, where God is pouring out His Spirit on the on elders in the camp. And there are two elders that did not follow instructions completely. They stayed behind in the camp. Their names were Eldad and Medad. But God still poured out His Spirit on them, and they began to prophesy on behalf of the Lord. And Joshua he gets this gets this jealousy on behalf of Moses, and he runs out uh, to Moses and he says, "Moses, my Lord, stop them." And here's what Moses replies, Janet, and this this actually makes me emotional anytime I talk about this. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And I think that's the attitude that we've got to have. It's not for our own visibility. It's not for our own notoriety. And if God chooses to pour his spirit out on another well, my goodness, we ought to stand behind them and we ought to support that message. Yeah, right. Th- this ties a little bit into what you talk about regarding leadership, because you say that true leadership is about following the leader more than leading those who are following. How does that tie into what you're discussing here? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been privileged in my life to serve some of the most effective leaders I've ever known. And one of the traits that I have so consistently seen in them is a refusal uh, to keep their followers behind them. There has been a willingness uh, to say God gives different gifts to different people. And part of my role as, as a leader is to em- empower them and to embolden them to actually pass me in certain areas, to to walk in the, in the gifts that God has given them to a way that maybe they do uh, pass me. And, and I think there are probably a lot of a lot of people that don't walk in that grace. I've been um, privileged to be surrounded by those uh, who do. But ultimately, Janet, it comes back to this. We weren't created to be leaders. Now, we might be given leadership in some instances, but the commands in Scripture that we are given repeatedly and clearly and fervently are that we're supposed to follow hard after Him. And to the extent that we do become leaders and people follow us, we're only going to lead them in the right direction if we're, we're actually focused on the one that we're supposed to be following. Well, it reminds me of what Paul said, imitate me as I mm-hmm. imitate Christ. He wasn't saying it's about me, Paul, you need to be part of my clan. He's saying if I am exhibiting the fruit of the spirit and if I'm representing Jesus Christ according to his word, then you ought to do what I'm doing because I'm only imitating Jesus. But again, he's pointing people to Jesus at every turn. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and he also said that not many of um, us should be leaders or teachers because you take on additional responsibility. I, I would put it to you this way. I think God will give us as much as we can handle uh, faithfully, but if we push ourselves to the front of the line in order to be seen and we take on more than he intended us to have, that's going to come with additional uh, responsibility, additional accountability, but without additional blessing because it's not the places that God has called us. So, Janet, we need to be eager like Habakkuk was to step to our place on the line and to to act in boldness and to carry out the task that God has given us. But we need to be very careful, and I would say even hesitant and and uh, asking of God to make sure that we're not pressing ahead of Him because we don't want that accountability if it's not in an area that He's pushed us into. Right. There needs to be that humility at all times. What about the eternal and focusing on the eternal? As we know, that is our long-term goal is we want to be with Christ. We will be in eternity a lot longer than we'll be on earth by a long shot. But you say choosing the things that are eternal make us effective on earth for the Lord's fame. How is that the case? I just think it lifts our eyes from the circumstances. You know, I think if we are able to, uh, like you said, in the moment, think about those things that long after we're gone are still going to matter, and they're going to matter in the eternal kingdom. I think it frees us from some of the burdens of uh, crowd-pleasing that so naturally come in. I mean, look, this this is a hard balance because you're going to get uh, feedback based on actions in the moment that might tell you you're doing the right thing. But most of that feedback in the moment is based on how, how how people react now, how they feel right now. And most of that is lost in eternity. Uh, Janet, the things that will last in eternal souls long after we're gone, if we can think about those as we're making decisions, even if the reaction in the moment, like, like you were talking about the culture being divergent from it, the reaction in the moment may not be a positive one. But if those aren't the feedback mechanisms that we're looking for, we're going to remain steadfast anyway. Yeah, that's right. Well, for example, if you go up to the average non-Christian today and you want to talk about sin or hell or the final mm-hmm. judgment, that's usually not going to be what they want to talk about. And and yet, for all of us who know Jesus Christ, if we, nobody had ever told us about sin, hell, and judgment, would we even be Christians? We got to keep that eternal perspective in mind as we are his ambassadors. We need to focus on what the Lord says is important, and that is that he is slow to, um, you know, he wants everyone to come to repentance. And that's why he is not slow about his promises, but it seems sometimes to people that he's slow about coming back if we're waiting for Jesus to return. And some people, well, you know, you've always said he's going to come back. Where is he? Well, that's the heart of God, that he wants all men to know him, that that's the heart of it all. Amen. And we've got to be willing to look peculiar. I mean, the word tells us that if we walk in this fully, uh, the culture is going to look at at us a bit peculiar. But, you know, uh, my aspiration, Janet, and hopefully the aspiration of those listening to us is not to fit into this culture. It's to be a representative, an ambassador of the almighty God uh, within this culture. And if that means I look peculiar, if that means that I'm set apart, uh, that's that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. And if you look at the story of Habakkuk, it is actually that. That that enabled him to carry the message of God to his people uh, in a time of great need. Well, right. And as we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first and greatest commandment, as Jesus said, that's who we need to keep our eyes on. And that's the one whose glory is ultimately important. We don't have any glory apart from him at all. And we should be all about Jesus Christ. I couldn't agree more with you. And the name of the book is My Fame, His Fame, Aiming Your Life and Influence Toward the Glory of God. That's the goal 
goal of every Christian. Than Bennett with us. Thank you so much. Than, it was great to have you back. Great to talk to you. And God bless you. Janet, God bless you. Grateful to be with you. All right. You take care. And thanks again for being with us. Thank you for joining us on Janet Mefford today. We appreciate you and we'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.